Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's, what's going, going on in sports today and, and hear, hear what Chris, Chris and Anshu say. The Deepest Thoughts podcast is brought to you by DeepestThoughts.com. Host Chris Horwadell and Anshu Khanna discuss today's biggest news from the world of sports and whatever else is on their minds. Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's going on in sports today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. Welcome to the Deepest Thoughts podcast, episode number 13. I'm Chris Horwadell, joined by the host of the new and popular podcast, Squadcast, Anshu Khanna. Anshu, it's a delight having you here today. Wow, what a delight it is to be here with you, Chris. I'm just glad you had, you had the time. This the rousing success and popularity of hashtag Squadcast. Can I ask you where did you come up with the idea hashtag Squadcast? My co-host and good friend. Um, it, it came from actually just a weekend out with a bunch of friends, and mm. you know the, the popular Twitter hashtag is hashtag Squad, and one of our friends put it up on Facebook in an unironic way. So we've kind of given him a lot of of uh crap about it over sure. time and uh and then we thought the idea of squad hashtag squadcast just having a couple buddies talking sports and life essentially and bringing on some of our friends and things like that was a good idea for uh for a podcast so it's it's a much more casual listener we're we're gonna go for that i think although ours is anything but formal here i have uh, no idea what you're yeah. talking about so what you're telling yeah. <laughs> me and tell me please tell me if i'm wrong one of your friends said something that you thought was ridiculous. He was ridiculed and mocked for it, and you're like, let me adopt that. That's exactly right. Also, squad <laughs> rhymes with pod, so it really kind of rolls off the tongue. And that was sort of where we came up with it. I mean, there were a couple ideas bandied about, but okay. we, we landed on that. So, now, um, let's, yeah, I mean, let's get a peek behind the curtain. What what, oh, came, wow. what fell on the uh, the cutting room floor? What were some of the other... The other podcast and titles that didn't make the cut. Man, nothing that would allow us to keep, retain our non-explicit <laughs> rating here. So I won't go down that that road with you. But things around the Midwest, since both Josh and I are from Ohio and Illinois, I went to school in Wisconsin or Ohio. So um, yeah, things like that. But it was, you know, it was uh, let's say much more risque. Well, nothing wrong with that, and. It... I'm glad you can. I, didn't the whole hashtag squad start with Taylor Swift? Is, I, that, I, is that what we're taking from here? Is this a, a Swift cast? A Swift cast? Yeah. I'm, we're probably catching a lot of Tay-Tay fans yeah. tuning in and getting some unfortunate takes on the Super Bowl and Belichick's legacy. So um, apologize to those fans. That's probably where some of the negative reviews come from. But, you know, yeah, would, it'll get better. But, yeah. <laughs> I would think that that when you're looking at the Venn diagram between fans of Taylor Swift and fans of Bill Belichick's game planning, it probably doesn't cross over too much. It's Yeah, it's probably like the Giselle Bunchin crowd and uh, fans of Tom Brady's Ugg Boot campaign. I'm guessing those are, those are the middle area in that Venn diagram. So that's your demographic. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we were shooting for. I mean, you got to know your niche. You know, you have to know where your bread's buttered. All right. Well, uh, is it fair to say that we we can look forward to more episodes every weekend, something like that? 
Yeah, I think maybe, you know, once a week we're going to shoot for, um, and, and we'll just have to see what happens. It's going to be interesting and constantly evolving. You know, uh, Josh and I haven't had the the legion of experiences that you have in this wild and crazy cyber world. Mm-hmm. So um, we're learning on the go a little bit, and obviously anyone that can, that's willing to provide advice and reviews and help us get better, is, uh, that, that all that is more than welcome. Yeah, I will say that... Uh... It's nice to have reviews that are that are constructive criticism. Downright negative and nasty things are probably not necessary. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, they didn't have to go after my family. That was rough. I, and I apologize to you for that. that. I did not mean to take it that person. Just, you know, I, look, you know me well, and... so yeah, it happened. I apologize. All right. Well, I would definitely encourage everyone to check out Anshu and Josh's show, which you can find on the website and on iTunes. And like you said, new episode once a week and uh, probably weekend oriented. Let's take a look at some of the things that are going on in the sports world right now. We had uh, an interesting NBA trade. And it's this is a tough time for me because this weekend, the 76ers pulled Jalil Okafor from playing in a game due to the premise of ongoing trade negotiations. And at the time, there were four teams who were mentioned. It was the Denver Nuggets, the New Orleans Hornets, the Chicago Bulls, and the Portland Trailblazers. Now, the Nuggets and the Trailblazers took themselves right out of the conversation by making a trade with trade with themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Portland sent uh, one of the Plumleys, let's call him Miles. I think that's right. Miles Plumley and a, a second-round pick to the Denver Nuggets for Josef Nurkic and a first-round pick. Uh, I believe Portland now has three first-round picks in a very, very strong 2017 NBA draft. So both of them have their centers that fit their teams a little bit better out of the Oak Four talk. That leaves New Orleans and Chicago. Uh, Toronto was another team that was was rumored to be interested in picking up one of the 76ers' big guys, be it Noel or Okafor. They made a trade today. Uh, they acquired Serge Ibaka from the Orlando Magic in exchange for Terrence Ross and a 2017 first-round pick which previously belonged to the Los Angeles Clippers. I've grown to have a pretty pretty reasonable appreciation for Serge Ibaka's game, and he was someone I kind of thought maybe the Sixers could go after this offseason as a target because one of the reasons Orlando traded him was they didn't think that they were going to be able to re-sign him, even though okay. he effectively cost them the number 11 pick in the draft. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tobias Harris and, uh, and Victor Oladipo. And in, mm. in, in exchange for that, they get Terrence Ross and a late first-round pick. So not a great, yeah. not a great Oops. move for Orlando. But uh, what, what do you think this does for the Raptors? Because this is a team like the Cleveland is very, very vulnerable right now, especially with the Kevin Love yeah. injury. What do you think this does for the Raptors? Can they finish the season with that one seed in the East? Oh wow, that uh, it's possible. I. I think that it's interesting how hard the Cavs have gone in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And I think that they just, the proof is kind of in the pudding. I feel like they smell blood in the water as far as dirt themselves. And, and uh, you're seeing LeBron play more minutes than he has in several years. And, yeah. and some of the in-season, uh, you know, fight infighting within the, the organization, it's just kind of been an awkward situation, especially for the reigning champ and the way that they won last year. Um very interesting situation. I think that absolutely the Raptors can come away from this with a one seed, and that is the only chance they have in my world of of beating the Cavs, short of a like a LeBron injury or maybe even a Kyrie injury. Uh, you know, I, I, 
and I think that it made sense. It almost instantaneously after the love injury happened, came out, um, that trade was announced for Ibaka to the Raptors. So um, the Raptors have a nice little thing going there with Lowry and DeRozan and, and Ibaka now. And, um, and they kind of fit the, they match up pretty interestingly with the Cavs in a potential seven game series. And they also match up well with the wizards now mm-hmm. in a seven game series, if that were to happen, which is also, you know, a really critical possibility. And now I think that it'll be interesting to see if the wizards maybe try to prepare a pick for, 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 uh, for a big man, maybe like a Taj Gibson or one of these types that have been bandied about. Maybe even, I don't know if they haven't been mentioned about with Okafor, but someone to some, just something to consider because the wizards are clearly, the Wizards, uh, Raptors, and Cavs are clearly the big three in the East, if there are three teams that are good in the East. And so, um, to me, that's the interesting part. But, yeah, the Raptors are very much uh, in line for a one or two seed right now. Well, don't forget about the Celtics either. The Celtics are only one game behind sure. behind the Cavs for the most wins in the Eastern Conference right now. And they are absolutely loaded with assets should they want to make a trade. And this is a team that has... You know, they've been kicking the tires on a lot of big deals that just they haven't been able to finalize over the last couple of seasons. So maybe, you know, let me ask you as a uh, as a Chicagoan and is is Jimmy Butler going to be available? Because that is a guy who would make a whole heck of a lot of sense in Boston. Boston's got the Nets first round picks for the next two years, presumably uh, top three picks in each draft. Could Butler be had for the right package right now? I don't think – the key words you said were right now. I don't think that he's going before the deadline. I think that the Bulls have kind of put the – you know, dug their own grave as far as this season. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that they're they're kind of committed to trying to get a home – couple home playoff games or maybe only one home playoff game uh, with – oh, I guess they're guaranteed to, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so – I think that the Reinsdorfs want those, want to bring that money in, but I would definitely not rule it out after this season. I think when you come close to the draft, you'll see Butler. Butler and the Celtics make a lot of sense. They've made sense for a while. It made sense for the Bulls not to make that move, I think, before this year. I mean, it would have been great to see them do it just to tank so they weren't in NBA hell. But the reality is that those assets won't be realized until this draft comes up because these are the beginnings of really of the – of the Boston Ticks, or I'm sorry, the Brooklyn Ticks. So um, getting this year's and next year's and, you know, maybe one or two of their young assets, and they, like you say, they have a ton of them, um, that would be interesting. I think that that's, that's the makings of the kind of return you would expect to get for a top 12-ish player in Jimmy Butler, and, and I, I would do that if I was the Bulls. Well, the Bulls were, you know, they were tied to the Celtics prior to the 2016 NBA draft with that number three pick, and whether or not they'd be able to get Butler. Obviously, the Bulls had very different plans with what they wanted to do by bringing in Rondo and Wade, but you know that would have been that would have given them the number three pick in the 2016 draft, which you know it, it ended up being Jalen Brown. I can't imagine it would have been Jalen Brown if it was Chicago. They wanted Chris Dunn. Badly. So there you go. Okay. Well, then you probably dodged a bullet there because Chris Dunn looks like absolute hot garbage in Minnesota right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that I don't think that not put it this way. I think that Jalen Brown would potentially be in that deal, even if they were to make it next off season rather than last. So I'm not sure that they. You're right. They probably dodged a bullet, and maybe they still get that asset ultimately. Um, and so that I think I wouldn't rule that out by any means. Them still getting him. 
Well, let me tell you what. The Nets are in the worst position in the NBA right now moving forward. They are not going to be good anytime soon and almost certainly going to be the worst team in the NBA again next year. I mean, they had to stoop to giving giant contract offers to restricted free agents, mediocre restricted free agents like Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson, only to have their only to have their teams match because the the absolute nicest thing you can do for another team is to try and sign the restricted free agent since that team is now going to be able to resign them cheaper than they would have been able to <laughs> themselves. So suffice to say, didn't get either one of them. Wouldn't have mattered if they did. There, this is a team that's now talking about trading Brook Lopez. He's been linked to the Pelicans over the last couple of days as well. They're not getting better. So if you could get, you know, if you could get Jalen Brown, the the Celtics pick this year with the right to swap with the Nets and the Nets pick next year, that let's call it, you know, let's say you get the second pick in the draft because, you know, the odds are you won't get the first pick in the draft. I think it's a 75% chance that the worst team doesn't get the first pick. So mm-hmm. let's call That's it, right. let's call like it Jimmy Butler for Jalen Brown, Lonzo Ball, and I don't know, let's say you get, again, uh, next year is like Michael Porter or DeAndre Ayton or somebody like that. That's a yeah. heck of heck of a return for Chicago. Plus, yeah, I mean, plus another probably another piece that's not non-zero. You know, one of the young guys that doesn't maybe play a ton for them. Maybe like I don't know about Marcus Smart, but one of those you know younger guys, a lottery ticket type. And let's not forget the biggest benefit would be that they would then the Bulls would then be tanking next year. So that's, that's you're true. adding if you're you know Ata or whoever, and then getting another top three to five pick, assuming they're really bad which they will be without Jimmy Butler, undoubtedly. And Dwayne Wade wouldn't come back, and Rondo wouldn't be there. So, you know, I think that that's, you're almost, that's the ultimate addition by subtraction. Um, and I think that that would, be, that would be a hell of a return for me. And it, even if it's not Ball, if it's, you decide, I mean, maybe Ball goes number one, you get folds, or if you decide you like one of these other kids this year, I still think that that's just a really, you're never going to beat that return with those two picks from from brooklyn um well, and record, then you add jalen Brown. yeah for the record i think josh jackson's the best basketball player in this draft i think i think markel fultz oh is, you are mr you're the fultz guy i, know, I think oh. mark i think markel fultz is a splash player i think he's a much better fit wow. for, for my 76ers i think he's his upside <laughs> his upside is a james hardeny kind of player but when you're talking about the best overall basketball player and you know defense is a thing that is still allowed in the nba uh, I think it, I think that guy is Josh Jackson. Sources. I like I, you know I like Josh Jackson's alpha dog mentality. I like that he's got he's got a little KG to him to him and he's going to push everybody. And uh, he, yes, he he was my one. favorite player coming into this year. By the way, as we remember back way back when. And yes, and so, so I yeah Jackson's my favorite. I I think I like Ball the most though now. Oh, I don't know. I that don't, shot I, is ugly. I don't but. know how I feel. Well, there's a lot of ugly shots. Josh Jackson's shot's also hideous, although it's getting a little bit better. Actually, I think he's shooting like 43% for, uh, from three over the past couple of weeks, and his average is up to mm. up to about 37% from three, I think. And it actually it, it makes the comparison between Josh Jackson and Andrew Wiggins a lot more interesting because that's mm. the guy who was compared to. But the knock was, oh, he, he doesn't shoot the ball as well as Wiggins does. Well, you know, he's actually shooting the ball better than Wiggins was at Kansas, and he's rebounding. It doesn't look as good, though. It doesn't. Wiggins has a very nice-looking jump. He has a classic-looking jump shot, and Jackson has that weird hitch at the top. But when you consider Jackson is just an elite athlete to Wiggins' elite elite, and so that's maybe the only thing he's worse in terms of 
it, skill-wise, you know, right now, objectively, he's a better shooter. He's a worse foul shooter, so there's another thing. Better, Certainly a better rebounder, a much better ball handler and passer, much, much, much better defensive player. And you have to like that alpha little thicker. That a little bit, yeah, but still very. You know, neither one of them is uh, is Marcus Smart, but no. <laughs> you, no, but you have to like that like, killer attitude that Josh Jackson has, as opposed to a, a very reserved, very very uh, like polite Canadian Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just nailing down the stereotypes. Sorry, Canada. Hey, um... I, I watch it with Nick Stauskas every game. <laughs> Uh, Maple Jordan, yeah. One of my favorite nicknames. That's just, that's an elite nickname. But, um, no, I, I think that, um, I, I would say Wiggins at the time was a better prospect if you could get, if you knew you were getting Wiggins, that would be amazing. Um, but I think that any of those three guys, I, and I put Fultz in with Jackson and, um, and, uh, Ball and, yeah, I would even say I the one guy I would look out for to make a big rise is Tatum, Jason Tatum. Really? Duke. I don't just, I don't know yeah, what I, I think of Jason Tatum. I he might be a poor I, man's Carmelo Anthony. Something's just he, I think he's a poor man's Danny Granger. Ooh, that's, and that's not that's not a giant knock. Danny Granger was a very very good player in the NBA. I, I don't know no, what, what yeah. makes you like him. I he's way more athletic than those two guys. Way more. I mean, he the way he can elevate is. I, I would say he's more of an erratic type that you'd be worried about him potentially taking games or plays off, honestly. I, and that's where I, I would never say that about Danny Granger's game earlier on. Um, but I think Tatum's got some, some Paul George in his game pre-knee injury. I think that he's similarly raw. When you draft him, you're not going to get you know your 25 points per game score right off the bat. But I think that I think he's got that kind of athleticism and explosiveness and bounce and – when he gets going like he has recently, mm. um, you know, I think that I, I think you saw in that Carolina game the way that he sort of took over, and you were talking about alpha dogs with Josh Jackson. Even in just the second half, the way that he was able to hang that many points on them um, on Carolina on a very good and pro-ready, pro-style-sized team yeah. um, in, in the Tar Heels. I think that, that that's the kind of guy that merits a top-ten pick, and, we'll see, and we've seen in the past guys just skyrocket their stock uh, based on their tournament performance, I think that he definitely has the ability to do that this year. How much Duke have you watched this year? Oh, uh, pretty good amount. What you, good amount. What's wrong with Harry Giles right now, in your mind? The hell, man! I that is the, that's really the question of the entire country right now because yeah. at one time Giles and Tatum were basically lost, and we were we, you know when when everyone assumed Duke was basically the consensus number one, likely to. Mm-hmm win the championship team this year they were talking about those two guys and not canard luckily luke canard's been so good for them that uh you know he sort of made up for at least one of them and now tatum's coming on a little bit and that changes the game but man giles is a, is a fascinating confusing thing to me i don't know yeah. what do you what do you think of it he just doesn't seem to get on the court that much yeah and that that's one of the most interesting things is he doesn't even get the opportunity to play i you know i think it's mental obviously two very significant injuries over a short period of time and then a little relapse you know they're not going to call it a relapse but he had a relapse this summer when they had to go in and scope his knee again right before the season I think it's yeah. mental. I don't, you know, he does not look bouncy. And this was this was a bouncy guy in high school. He's not finishing yeah. above the rim. He's not making sharp moves to the basket. 
He's not cutting hard. He looks tentative when he jumps to rebound. I don't think that injury is out of his head yet. And for some guys, it, you know, it just never it never goes away. You know, heaven forbid yeah. a guy who we thought was potentially the number one pick in the draft, you know, you know, two years ago, we thought would be a number one pick in 2017 in, in, oh, in, no. a, in yeah. a loaded class. Heaven forbid he turns into Noah Vonley. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, I, man, that's an interesting comparison. Vonley played a little bit more as a freshman, um, but that's that's tough. No, that's, I just mean that, as a you pro. You can see that. I mean as a pro, you know. Oh, I, yeah. I, but, I, yeah, I mean, he's not even playing in college. At least Bonley, I'm saying at least yeah. we had a sample of Bonland at Indiana. This is this is tough. Like, Giles is I, – I, it's funny that you brought that up because I just completely forgot about him yeah. after watching them a couple times in the last few weeks. It's, that's a really tough thing for them and for him. Hopefully he stays and, you know, he, he rebuilds some of that stock and some of the reasoning why everyone had him rated so highly. Well, I think they love Emil Jefferson, too, and I – I am torn with Emil Jefferson because I feel cheated by him. Um, <laughs> local guy who a lot of people thought was going to pick Villanova ends up uh, going to Duke, spurning my Wildcats. But you know, I think I think they love Jefferson. I think they love what he brings to the team. I, they love that he came back for another season instead of going to the pros. Uh, and it's going to be tough to play over him, especially with – it just seems like Giles is in such a bad headspace. Yeah, hey, you see that every once in a while. I mean, if he comes back, he could easily rebound and become the best player in the country again next year. I mean, he has that kind of ability. That's what everyone was talking about that coming into this year. He could be, maybe not easily, but he can definitely rebuild that stock. There's time for him. But um, assuming Jefferson's gone, what year is Jefferson? He's a junior? I think he's a redshirt senior. Okay, okay. Um, but... You know, Giles has the kind of talent where Jefferson becomes an afterthought if, if Giles is playing well enough or they find a way. So um, that's interesting. We'll, we'll have to see about that. Emil is, in fact, the redshirt senior. Uh, it also doesn't help that Duke doesn't have a point guard. You know, big guys are not going to look good when you don't have point guards. <laughs> that's tough. That's, I mean, that's true. That's a good point. I and, you know, people automatically probably assume that Grayson Allen sort of takes that mantle, but he clearly is a two-guard for them. And yeah. so uh, they're, they've got the kind of talent where one of those guys could probably run the point for them. But you're right. That, I mean, and this is a year where there are a lot of really good tough point guards yep. for very good teams. So that could be their undoing down the line. Keep that bookmark that for, uh, for March. For the record, I, and I keep waiting for Giles to turn the corner. You know, I liked. I thought he played okay against North Carolina. Again, in very, very limited minutes, hasn't played more than ten minutes in a game since looks like January twenty eighth. Wow! Um, did not score in ten minutes against Clemson in a win this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. Took one. Yeah, was, took one I shot. I honestly wouldn't have even remembered him playing. I, him and, and that game in, in the Carolina game, I barely noticed him. I thought that the other guys were playing so well, and the crowd was so into it. I just totally forgot about Giles. And I, I just so desperately want him to establish himself so that, you know, well, I guess it's a little bit late in the game for this, but I wanted him to establish himself so that this is one of the, you know, this is one of the top three or four picks in the draft, and it pushes. I think there's a clear-cut top four in this draft. Uh, I think it's Fultz, Jackson, Ball, and Dennis Smith from North Carolina. Uh, but mm, I, I really okay. like to see Giles jump into that group to push one of them down because the Sixers frustratingly 
seem to be winning games lately. And uh, <laughs> I think we have the, the sixth pick in the draft. To top, well, well, you're point. rooting for the Lakers to win, right, too? Oh, Maybe you'll end up with well, the fifth. Tonight, tonight is a huge game for the Philadelphia 76ers because the Lakers play the Kings. And we have the right to swap picks with the Kings. So I'm just that is a team that could fall apart at the drop of a hat. DeMarcus now has 17 technical fouls in the season. The next one he gets is a suspension. Then, you know, every two subsequently is a suspension. He's going to be suspended mm-hmm. for five more games this year. That's You can pretty much count on that. Uh, so, yeah. so a Lakers win would, would push them. I think they'd still be in the three spot. But if they finish in the three spot, they only have something like a 35 to 40% chance of, of staying in that spot. So yeah. I'm okay with it. You know, a Lakers, yeah. a Lakers win. We're definitely all big Lakers fans tonight. Let's, uh, yeah. It's hard for me to no, see. No, I'm Nick a Kings Young. fan. I'm a Kings fan today. I'm sorry, because the Bulls get the Kings pick and it's outside fair. the top ten. That is yeah. absolutely fair. I can understand your perspective. You uh, you texted me when the rumors of Okafor to Chicago started, and you seemed you seemed to like the idea of trading for Okafor. Where's your Where's your mind at now? Oh man. Well, I mean, it depends what it's for. I was it. Did you had you said you wanted a Bulls first for for Okafor? No question. Uh, if if I'm the Sixers, I'm not going to trade him. Look, I I I like Jalil Okafor a lot. He is not a player who fits in the modern day NBA. I think he's a he's a rich man's Ennis Cantor is probably his upside with more shot blocking. Yeah. But and and there's a value in that. Ennis Cantor is a there value, is value in that. Ennis yeah. Cantor is a valuable player. So my asking price for Chicago would be one of Denzel Valentine and Doug McDermott and one of the two first-round picks would be my asking price. Well, so they only get the Kings. They have the right – I believe it's the right to flip with the Kings if it's outside the top ten. No, I'm not I, exactly I sure on the two. I think they own the pick flat out. Or do they just get it outright? Yeah, I believe they have it outright if it's outside the top ten. Yeah. So I would make that the contingency on that. I would say it's protect like you could have the Bulls pick if plus one of those two guys for if, if the Kings pick conveys. If right. Yep. Exactly. And Otherwise, that, if, if that like point, so we can. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We can we can hash this out right now and just let the the organizations know if we solve yeah. the problem for them. <laughs> I okay. So if you're telling me that it's contingent on the Kings. So that that's tough for me because it's oh, it's a really weird situation where a Kings win is both good and bad for for the 76ers. <laughs> but no, but it's your hedge. It's your it's your arbitrage again. Uh, all right. Okay. okay, but if if you're not even giving me a guaranteed pick in 2007, it can't be more than top 8 protected in 2018. Yeah, top 8 seems fair because the bulls are either tanking completely or outside of the lottery. So I think that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm on board with that because Okafor to me, I agree that he's an odd fit in today's NBA, but I, I'm someone who believes in the talent with him. And, you know, I, I, I think that it would be worth trading one of those two guys that you mentioned, or if you want to throw Miritich, any of those no, three thank really, you. no, thank you. Um, all right, so Miritich it is. Pass and... on Miritich, thank you. We've we've already got a better version of him in Ilyasova. Oh God, you probably have twenty better versions of him. What He's happened? Worse, but... What happened to Nikola Miritich? How he got? He was the second. He finished second in Rookie of the Year voting in uh, in his year, and that was the only year. I mean, his his stats were kind of weak even as a rookie. 
playing, yeah, like, I believe, a, a 22-year-old, I believe is a 22-year-old rookie because uh, he obviously played overseas for a while. What has happened mm-hmm. to him? He can't shoot anymore, and he's a, a quote-unquote stretch forward. Yeah, I was going to say, he's one of the most up-and-down, weird, fluky confidence players that I've ever seen, where he needs, like, you can tell, you can see it, like, it's on his face, the confidence draining away from him. And then when he's making them, his whole game improves. I mean, and that's not uncommon, I guess, but to see it on him, it's so stark, the difference between when he's playing with confidence and when he's not. And his shooting clearly is affected by it. But I I think there's a place for him in the NBA. It's just not in Chicago. This guy needs a change of scenery yeah. bad. I mean, real bad. But he's got a place in the league, and he'll, he'll be in it. I Like, I... I think that he'll get better, and he's got a very tough shot to block. He's so big, and um, you know he is a stretch for, so he's he's useful, ideal or hypothetically in this NBA. Um, so I would say that he's still got value, but it's just you've got to take a chance on him and assume that it's possible that he'll just tank. Yeah, that's the thing about Ilyasova is, for one thing, his his face is his face throughout the entire game. He does not have a reaction <laughs> to anything. Uh, I mean, he maybe he'll yeah. bitch about a call, but that's just because. Oh God! So uh, sorry about that. <laughs> maybe he'll complain about a call, but um, but that's only because you know this is a guy who wants to get every single call. He leads the NBA in offensive fouls drawn for the I think the third yeah. consecutive season or something like that. And he is not someone who is lacking in confidence. If Ersan Ilyasova gets the ball, Ersan Ilyasova thinks he's going to make the shot and he's going to that's try good. and score. No, I agree. You have to have that attitude. Sometimes yep. it leads to – look, he's not a guy I would have in the game in an end-of-game situation. I've seen this twice this year, wherein we have the, – the 76ers have the ball, last possession, down or tied. And I know if Ilyasova touches the ball, he's going to shoot it. So I probably would not have him in the game in those situations because both times he's had the opportunity, led to terrible shots, and we lost the game. But mm-hmm. but you got to know what he is. He's got value. I would – I think Sarich is – beginning to uh to overtake him in terms of what he brings to the team but i don't know and by the way something occurred to me today that i haven't even considered this entire season maybe that's just me being naive but for the first time today i honestly believe we're not going to see ben simmons this season what yeah oh man that's uh wow hashtag trust the process that's that's tough but you know, it probably isn't the worst. I mean, it it would be nice to throw a bone to the fans, but you want to stack losses, don't you? And that's kind of the thought to me. I guess, but we're not. So you know, yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not try and? So the average games missed from an NBA player suffering a Jones fracture is 27 games. We're 55 games into the season right now. Wow. This, this is a three-month injury. Is there something else? Is there something? Is there a muscle? Was there a muscle issue in between there where he maybe rushed his rehab or something else happened overcompensating for the all, fracture? All I what? can tell you is what I see with him shooting around before the games, and he looks he looks athletic, he looks bouncy, he looks quick, he looks healthy. I don't. Right. I, well, don't, you... I, don't I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if they're hiding something. I mean, we. <laughs> Brian Colangelo, thank God, by the way, thank God we got Sam Hinkie out of town. You know, dirty, oh. Sa- dirty Sam Hinkie, who would never talk totally to the media. Totally disagree. Dirty, you know, wouldn't talk to the media, he hides all these injuries, all of that. And we bring in this, this 
people person. This the, the outgoing, affable Brian Colangelo, and he's going to be completely different. And all he does is hide injuries. He was on our local radio station this past weekend. Uh, and by the way, I, I loved San Hickey. Please don't for a second think I'm happy about San Hickey being on. I was literally upset, oh, okay. heartbroken the day uh, the day he resigned. I must have read that oh, resignation letter ten times. And it's, it's amazing oh, every single time. But so, so Colangelo was on local Philadelphia radio talking about the, the Embiid injury. And he said, you know, progressing, nothing going on, still day to day. Then one of the Philadelphia beat reporters finds out a little bit of medical information, and that forces Colangelo to come out the next day and say, oh, yeah, well, actually, what we've known is uh, MB tore his meniscus before the Houston game, and that's the reason he's out, and there's no timetable for his return right now. No. Oh, by the way, what I told you the other day, just kidding. Completely false. Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 oh, I utterly hate Brian Colangelo. <laughs> well, he's a he's a professional. I mean, that's sort of he's Mister Team USA or linked to Team USA and yeah, all that. that so. That's his dad. That's his dad. right. But he, I don't I don't care involved, about that. Wasn't he? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. It's, he's sure he, he drafted Andrea Barnyardi. That's what I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I hate him. Look, if if Hinky was still here, we would not still have three centers on this roster. Things would be no, a lot cleaner. He'd have zero because he'd bench everybody to tank one more year, which I'm fully on board with for the record. Look, with but. with a guy like Joel Embiid, and I think Bill Simmons said this, when you have a franchise center, it's really tough to tank games. And that's what the 76ers learned this season. Yeah. Like, he is just... Well, the team seemed to be doing a fine job of it. But. Well, that bookie is so dysfunctional. But what's amazing yeah. is, so so Embiid tour has a slight turn in his meniscus, and we... we Led to believe it's a slight tear. God knows what it actually is. Yeah, his knee's dislocated and he broke his femur, and I don't know. But so it obviously happened on uh, on a play where he had a really strong dunk and he landed a little bit weird. Knee bent the wrong way. It looked like it was a bad injury. You know, he was out for the rest of the game. Blah blah blah. Three days later, we played the Rockets on national television, and Embiid was getting uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Week or Eastern Conference Rookie of the Year. He was getting an award during the broadcast. So I think they felt a little bit of pressure to play him. Uh, um, this is going to be kind of right, kind of wrong. He had something like 26 points, nine rebounds, and three blocks, playing on a, a wow. cl- on a clearly bad knee. And I think he was three or four from three, uh, and has hasn't played since then. But I don't know. It, so they knew his meniscus was injured prior to that game. Clearly didn't think it was serious enough that he couldn't play against the Rockets. Uh, but now he hasn't played in 11 straight games. Oh, man. So you think Hinky would have bat phone down and made sure that he wasn't playing at all after that? Is that your... I, I don't your know, but there would have been a stance. He's either hurt or he's not. Like, you know, right. you knew what the injury was. You saw the MRI results. If he's hurt, he can't play against the Rockets. And by the way, watching the Sixers, as I do every single game, these last few games... Well, I guess in fairness, not so much the last few. We had a, But the five-game losing streak prior to this three-game winning streak felt a lot like watching the 76ers in 2014 through 2016. Oh. Well, that's good, isn't it? You want you want that. I don't know. Would I love to get the first and the fourth pick in the draft this year? Sure. Do I think it's super likely? I don't. I just I think we're I think more likely than not the 76ers end up with someone like Malik Monk with the seventh pick in the draft 
and there's your there's your scoring wing and probably eventual sixth man, but yeah, <sighs> neither here nor there. The one good thing that the 76ers have look, to look forward to, if the pick doesn't convey from the Lakers next year, is that it's unprotected next year. And by all accounts, Magic Johnson is angling to have decision-making power for that team. And oh boy! I don't know if this is going to be. That's what you bad. want. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to be as bad as Isaiah Thomas in New York, but boy, oh boy, are things not going to be good if that's the case. So, poor, poor Lakers fans, I guess. I don't know. Just they do have a decent foundation, though, where I, it's almost magic proof as long as he doesn't trade them all for Carmelo or do something they, stupid like that. Can I ask? Can I ask you? Do they though? I think one of the most overrated players in basketball right now is D'Angelo Russell, and I, I think I said this either to you yeah. or to Greg. He's not a good shooter. He's an, he's an inefficient shooter, still shooting below forty percent from the field, turns the ball over, doesn't play sure. defense. I don't. You know, I think I think he's the guard version of Jalil Okafor, for as ironic as that may be. Um, sure. You know, Brandon Ingram looks better of late, but he still looks like he's twenty pounds away from you know. To, to, to paraphrase a Bill Simmons saying. He's 20 pounds away from being 20 pounds away from playing in the NBA. Yeah, I well, they're they're all young. They're supposed to be young, and they're supposed to be always away from getting better. And unless Magic flips them, I would expect them to get better. I like Luke Walton as a coach. I think that they're going to get I, – I mean, I don't know that they'll get better enough by next year to where that pick won't be in the top five, but it is they're, – they're – They've got something going on there. I don't know what it is exactly, but I think that they're they've got the vague shadows of outlines of being something decent. So, you know, maybe not by next year, but the year after, I could see that getting that pick being not in the top three to five. But they're, for they're, your purposes, next year is good. They're relying on Lou Williams and Nick Young to win games for them. So, uh, who wouldn't want that? What what is that going? I've seen that. I've the seventy sixers <laughs> did that before. We had that pair together. Didn't work out for us either. Yeah, no, but they also have like three good young top three picks. So well, yeah. young and top three picks are true. Good is questionable. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't know if Julius Randle's a guy who fits in today's NBA either. He can't shoot, and he wants to be a point guard. Yeah, I I like his length and his athleticism. I think there's always a place for that. I think that he can play solid defense, and so I think there is a place for him. But I don't. You're right, and especially with Luke Walton, who you're going to want in that system. You're going to want your three shooting. Um, that that's potentially a problem for them. Look, if you can play Julius Randle as a as a small ball center, I'm okay with Julius Randle. But he's got he's got yeah, a little T Rex arms. Is another problem. He's got like a Brandon Graham arms. It's a problem. <laughs> or not, not Brandon Graham. Sorry, I apologize to Brandon Graham. Who, by the way, just, yeah. who by the way, Pro Football Focus rated as the number nine player in the 2016 NFL season, um, with five and a half sacks. I'm talking about Jerome McDougal. Oh, there you go. Okay. There's a uh, one of the greats to pass through. <laughs> that is not the metaphor or the uh, comp that I was expecting here today, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, let's talk about another trade. We, you know, a bucket of the Raptors. Let's talk about Brandon Phillips to the Braves. This has been talked about for quite some time. Finally came to fruition, and uh, the Braves really gave up nothing. They gave up a couple of almost thirty mediocre relief pitchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
the, basically the Reds were just dying to get him off their roster because they have so many young, talented middle infielders that they've they've carved out time for. I mean, mm-hmm. Jose Peraza now is going to get his chance to start. And I mean, I think it was just lucky for them that Phillips was even willing to just waive his no trade clause because they've agreed to at least two deals that he shot down, which is obviously his right mm-hmm. because of the way that they built that contract. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, this is one of those addition by subtraction moves again, where you give, you try to free up not necessarily money, but just playing time for the kids that deserve the shot. And so, um, the Reds are kind of an interesting, they're not going to be any good this year, but they're, they've got some talent where it's the year before, you know, the team gets kind of interesting. And so, They've got a lot of young players that need to be playing there at second and short, and um, and Phillips being gone helps to that. So the return that they got wasn't really the the return. I mean, the benefit to the trade wasn't the return, but it was it was more just freeing up playing time for those kids. Well, I don't know how much, if anything, this factors into it, but I am the Reds shortstop in my version of MLB The Show. So <laughs> you know, and and I'm hit. I'm what made you pick well. the Reds? I you, I didn't get to pick. I got drafted. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thank you. Very exciting time for me and my family. Very exciting. <laughs> Can I tell you, I, I played a lot of MLB The Show for a while because <laughs> because it was the only way. So I bought an exercise bike because I live I'm, I live an isolated life in California where all of my friends are yeah. 2,800 miles away. And I'm like, oh, I'll work out. That's something to do, right? That's something people do. Yeah. I'm supposed to do that. Yeah, and, I do that. And, uh, and, and you know, stretch and uh, eat kale and stuff like that. That's California. Yoga. I hear yoga is big there. Hot yoga. But um, so I'm like, all right. So I get the bike. I ride the bike for like know, five minutes. I'm like, this is the worst thing. In, <laughs> this is the worst thing in my life. I'm never going to do it again. I hate it. I'm stopping now. I was, oh, I was, come you know, on. I was trying I've to. i got a bike. It's It's amazing. I was trying to do it while I was watching TV shows in my garage. Once I figured out I that do. once I figured out that if I played video games while I was on the bike, then all of a sudden it goes much longer. That's yeah, all right. Got up to like an hour and a half. Got like wow. up, up to I think my top was 17 miles. Very happy with that. Oh my! Very happy Attaboy. with how that works. I'm proud of you. Thanks, buddy. That means everything to me. <laughs> from the from the creator of Squadcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. You've got you've got our full backing, my friend. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. But yeah, once I realized, so I played a lot of MLB The Show because that was that was the only game that really worked for me. I played through like three full seasons of uh, MLB The Show. So you play shortstop in MLB The Show? Aren't you a little tall to be playing shortstop? You know, I'm six three, so I'm like in that that A oh. kind of range. That's all right. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. That's no problem. No big deal. JJ Hardy. Yeah, you're a Tulo's like around that height, isn't he? He's a bigger fella. And we're all similar players, so it works out nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to brag, but Boy, I, I hit 425 last year. Looking nice. For, looking for a Very big contract. Very impressive. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know how to react to this. I mean, like this white hot MLB the show. It's exciting. Take. I mean, this is exciting. <laughs> People want to know what video games I'm playing. And uh, to let you know, I, fin- I, I finished Dead Rising over Christmas, Dead Rising 4 for, for Xbox. Um, what else? I, I, play, I played Fallout 4 and, and uh, a little okay. Destiny. I went back to Destiny recently, just uh, killing some time because you could do little missions pretty quick. And I can you know kill some aliens and get some frustration now. And ride your bike. 
I don't know. The, 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 the Xbox is in the living room. The Xbox is just me wasting oh. my time. Uh, sorry, I didn't get your email before well, you know outlining the, you know the, the uh, general area. What yeah, is, I, I have it, but I know that yeah. you've mixed it up. Why did you send me that email asking for my floor plan if that was not something you were going to find out? <laughs> um, if you see me creepily rapping on your window one of these days, it's, it's <clears throat> not a creepy thing at all, actually. No, I, I assume that was you. Nearly we'll, we'll leave something out there for you. Uh, let's talk about, from from the great news that is my is my exercise regimen to the, to the bad news that is Alex Reyes' injury with the Cardinals. <laughs> Reyes uh, had some pain in his elbow. MRI suggests it's a tear, a uh, slight tear of the UCL, and he's probably going to need Tommy John, the the two dirtiest oh. words in baseball. This is a guy yeah. who was unbelievable last year in, in a relatively short little cameo in the with the big club. Twelve games, five starts, four and one, one five seven ERA and a one point two two WHIP. What does this mean for the Cardinals? Because this guy's got future ace written all over him, sir. Yeah, this is basically the definition of disaster. I mean, this is the number one consensus, number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. Uh, this is, this is a tough one because this is a Cardinals team that the advanced stats do not like. Mm. Dakota has them rated, I think one game better than the Brewers who are actively tanking, um, in that division. And, uh, the only way to see this team being better than what these advanced stats are saying are players like race that are, you know, typically um, conservatively rated by these advanced um, projection systems. So uh, it's, it's it's a disaster. I mean, it's a disaster not just for this year, though. I mean, we're, we're talking about this year, but, um, you know, for the next few years, because when yeah. you, like you said, Tommy John, those are some dirty, dirty words. and that, That's a tough one to come back from. And he's the kind of risk, the kind of player that you sort of build your entire farm system and plan around because He's the kind of guy that within two years becomes, you know, you're hoping a Cy Young type player. He, that's that's the reality, and that's kind of where the Cardinals are at. They they need that kind of player um, in that rotation, and that's it's. There's no way to slice it positively for them. This is a complete and utter disaster. Yeah, TJ is not necessarily just a one year injury anymore either. It seems like it's actually right. have gotten worse as the as the surgeries have gotten better. This is a 15 month injury. So you got to think he's not ready to start the 2018 season. That that really affects your plans for, you know, what you're doing going into the year, especially for a team like the Cardinals. Yeah, and there's some there's been some studies done. You'd think that you know he, I think he's 22, and uh, you know you'd think that oh that's the that's the silver lining that he's only 22 that he'll come back from this mm-hmm. and be only 24 by the time this is all said and done and be able to recover, but. Um, there, I've, I've read some studies. I believe it was Jeff Pass, and I could be wrong about that. I know he has a book called The Arm out there. Um, and, uh, but I, I believe that the study says that if for players that have undergone Tommy John surgery between the ages of 15 and 23, their innings are severely capped over the, the course of their career. So there's there's some correlation between the amount of innings you ultimately pitch and having the Tommy John done early during that specific set of years. So um, that's not a good indicator if I read that stat correctly. And, uh, you know, it's just a tough thing. I mean, th- this is a farm system that's kind of barren as far as pitching mm. talent. And, man, that's I, – I don't I don't know where the Cardinals go from here with that. I mean, maybe they turn around and now empty out the system and try to empty out their holster and try to get one of these younger cost-controlled pitchers for the next four years to mitigate this loss. I hear uh, Jose Quintana's available. 
Oh, yeah, to you. I've, I've heard that there are many articles, or one specific, very elitely written article, uh, outlining potential trade partners and the kind of return that one might expect to, to have to give up for it. So that's a, that's a real possibility. Why not just trade Reyes? I mean, that seems like the kind of things the White Sox would be in for. Yeah, well, they would probably want Reyes and Harrison Bader and possibly Luke Weaver or one of their other players. I mean, it wouldn't just be Reyes now. I think I wrote I wrote as they, that they were kind of a team that was on the fringe of possibilities for Reyes, or for, sorry, for Quintana, but mm-hmm. that it would require Reyes, and that was pre-Tommy John. So, um, yeah, it's going to take Reyes and probably Carson Kelly, their number one guy, top catching prospect in all baseball, and then maybe Bader or one of those others. So, but I, who knows? You know, that would kind of fit the whole Cardinal timeline if you think about it. By the way, just if the Cardinal, if the White Sox were willing, willing and able to pull that off, adding Reyes, even if he is, let's say, you're looking at a 24 year old Reyes, don't even worry about him for the next two years, to Giolito and Kopech and all of those guys, that is potentially, yeah, there you go. Potentially one of the the scariest pitching stabs that baseball has seen if everything works out right, which it won't, because <laughs> these are young pitchers and things just don't work out right. But even if even if eighty oh, percent of these guys pan out, oh my goodness! I don't know if you heard, but Kopech right. throws one ten. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. I've heard that he's doing that from ten feet away. It's, that's been out there and been talked about once or twice on a very very popular podcast. So. Yeah, squad cast. Uh, yeah, squad cast is what it is. <laughs> no, I think. Um, I mean, I think. I think. I don't know what, what what the value would be on a guy like Reyes now. Like what? Like, can you even trade him? Does he have any value? No, I, I don't. Uh, think, I don't think you can. He trade definitely him. can't be the centerpiece. Because I yeah. think I think his value is so much higher to the team that he's on than it would be to any team trading for him. It was, you know, exactly. I, I dealt with this for two years in terms of what kind of trade value does Joel Embiid have? It's, <laughs> yeah, I did. I dealt with this for two years, and the no, simple the simple answer is, you know, he's worth way more to the team than he is to anybody who's going to acquire him. It's not worth making the deal. I can't imagine the Cardinals are going to trade Reyes at this point, but uh, well, especially oh. the Card. And don't forget, by the way, let's go. One final factor for the Cardinals. Yeah. Remember, they don't have second or third round picks next year. They don't have a first rounder this year. So yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah. That does it's going to be tough for them to rebuild that that system. It is there. Well, thank God they get those competitive balance picks all the time. Cause, ugh, thank, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> and that they have the best fans in baseball. People forget that. That's true. Um, a couple of interesting minor signings over the last couple of days. Travis Wood leaves the Cubs for the uh, the Kansas City Royals. Two years, $12 million. This is a guy who's been very, very good in relief. 2.95 ERA, 1.13 win in 77 games with the Cubs. What kind of uh, what kind of value does he bring to the Royals? Well, he's it, it is interesting. The Cubs are still interested. I know the Padres are kind of sniffing around, hoping that maybe it would be a low investment, high upside opportunity. Um Travis Wood is a really interesting, dynamic sort of talent. And um, at worst, he's a good bullpen arm. At best, maybe he slots into that fifth starter role. I mean, the Royals are clearly 
taking their chances with a bunch of different players. Mm-hmm. I personally thought that he would stay in the NL because he has that athleticism and he can bat relatively well, and I think that there's some value in that. And, um, and you know, he can field a little bit, so he's interesting for double switches and, and that sort of thing in the NL, and Joe Madden liberally used him in that way. But I think that, uh, you know, I think it's, it's an investment worth making, especially for a Royals team that's, uh, let's say, in limbo right now. That is a nice way to put it. A nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, and another you, way to put it is screwed. Correct. <laughs> that is probably the more accurate way to put it, yes. Uh, when you, you're talking about pitchers hitting, that gets me thinking about Atani. That gets me thinking about you know mm-hmm. him not playing in the, the WBC, which, by the way, is one of the stupidest names for anything. It, you can't have something the first year and call it a classic. It's not <laughs> I've never thought of the semantic ramifications of the WBC, but you're right. No, you're right. It's it's, it's a the World Baseball event. I'll let them have. They can be they can be the WBE if they want, but I demand this be changed immediately. Uh, Ohani, but Ohani's not playing. Otani's not playing in the WBC. Do you have any interest in this at all? It's, it seems like it's a weird timing for it to happen. You know, teams. You know, you have to think they don't want their guys taking part in it. Are you interested? Yeah. No question. No, I, well, I'm interested in it to the extent that it expedites us into meaningful games in baseball. So rather than the long drawn out BS spring training exhibition season, we have games that are going to mean something to a lot of these players. And I mean, maybe not for Americans, but for others and, and probably Americans too. So to that end, it's interesting. It just basically gets us to meaningful-ish uh, performances right away and you're right you know a lot of these players um, are being held out but to me it's it's just a chance to see these players actually trying sooner than they otherwise would so to that end yes but to the results end no at least not now maybe check back with me in a few weeks but yeah. right now no one interesting storyline and it's something that I get a lot out here on Bay, Bay Area Radio where it's a lot of a lot of A's talk, a lot of Giants talk, is, is the Sonny Gray situation. The A's tried desperately to trade this guy last year, had one of the, the worst years of his career after an incredibly strong season the year prior. Uh, and, you know, by all accounts, they're still trying to move Sonny Gray. If he has a strong WBC, can you see somebody, some team looking at him like, okay, Sonny Gray's back, whatever it was last year is a hiccup and it's over with, and all of a sudden that trade value goes up? It's possible, and so maybe that's another thing to keep an eye on in the tournament. But Sonny Gray's stock definitely fell for a variety of reasons. His velocity was kind of down. He had actually gotten very lucky two years ago, Mm. according to some of his advanced metrics and contact rates, that he should have had a much worse performance than he did. And, um, And so, yeah, I mean, you're right. In those small samples, sometimes you can build up certain parts of your profile that make you more enticing. But the reality is that all these teams are looking at the same advanced sort of ways of looking at these players and evaluating them. And Sonny Gray, I'm not sure that a two or three week sample would really improve him. I mean, I think that there's something to be said about selling a player like that to your fan base from an ownership perspective, but it's tough for me to envision a GM being willing to part with the kind of package that maybe Billy Bean's looking for in terms of like an additional guy that he wasn't going to get before the, before a good tournament performance. You're right. He did get lucky a couple of seasons ago. And we're talking about a just 
a bizarrely low BABIP against. Like guys, right. guys are hitting the ball and they are just not getting on base. So maybe that's not sustainable. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I just need Sonny Gray traded so people will talk about something else on the radio. Um, <laughs> what and oh god, and the Madison Bumgarner Garner contract. We should. What what are the Giants doing? Why are they alienating one of the best pitchers in the game right now? I have, that's probably an answer for you that more than for me. I. I think that the Giants are definitely a um, a sleeping giant, if I may, <laughs> in terms of the NL. Yeah. Just because the Dodgers and Cubs are so far ahead of everyone in terms of Vegas win projections right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of that is contingent, obviously, on Madison Bumgarner being Madison Bumgarner. And so... Uh yeah, I mean, why? What do you think? What's like? What's what's going on with that? What do you think that it'll affect the locker room and or his performance or willingness to pitch his arm out in the playoffs again this year? He's a that guy's a competitor. I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about him not trying, but he's also something mm-hmm. of a hothead, and I worry about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, to say I worry about him is probably overstating my my feelings about this because I don't care. I just think it's interesting from an inside <laughs> perspective. If you were a Giants fan, you would be worried. Um, if I were a Giants fan, you're right. I would absolutely be worried. And I would wonder, like, this is a guy who seems to take things personally. So it seems like he wants to get a new deal done. The Giants aren't ready to do it. This is one of the five best pitchers in baseball, I think, is probably fair. Pay the yeah. man. Keep keep this guy happy. He has been unbelievable for you over an incredible run for the for the organization over the past, you know, five years this past season mm-hmm. notwithstanding pay the man just just pay the is man. he the third highest paid pitcher on that team now in terms of yearly salary you might even be worse than that after signing melanson uh because you got samarja and Cueto, who both signed pretty big deals last off season yeah i'm guessing that he's not i mean if he's getting paid more than them it's probably not a lot more and i'm i'd be surprised if he was being paid more than Cueto. so it's like a it's like a steph curry thing where uh, the the good player gets locked into a reasonable deal and a couple guys coming in free agency and all of a sudden boom you're the third highest paid player on the team it's itch- you know that that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot and it happens in football a lot too i yeah. heard, i read ted thompson said something along those lines as well as far as you know you pay one guy and then so you pay jordy nelson and then randall cobb gets paid essentially more and now you create this sort of competitive aspect between them if if your chemistry isn't good within your locker room as far as like well i did this this and this and this guy's still getting paid more than me you know what i mean and that that can create a lot of drama if you don't have the right balance in terms of locker room chemistry no you're absolutely right and uh, that's by all accounts potentially one of the big reasons that the, the incredibly talented mm. young backcourt in washington doesn't get along mm. john wall signed a deal four years ago whatever it was signed his extension Bradley Beal got a giant contract last summer, makes a bunch more money than him, and uh, you know those guys are at each other's throat to some degree. Oh, I, I think they're on the court. They're an absolutely perfect combination because Beal is. I've I've long loved Beal. I Me would too. just kill that. I think that he's a really great player, especially in today's NBA. So, um, but yeah, no, that that's interesting. I actually hadn't heard that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, just a couple more things before we're done. Adam Lynn signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. This is a little bit of power off the Nationals bench, and we we talked about a guy a couple weeks ago, and Chris Carter also finally found his spot. And uh, 
what he forty one home runs last year. He's making what three million dollars mm-hmm. coming off the Yankees bench now. I think Carter's going to start a lot more games than Lind will. I mean, Lind might just, and maybe that's just because you've got the extra slot with the DH, and mm-hmm. Carter's got a little bit more of a pronounced power profile. Um, but that's it's an interesting fit. I mean, it, um, I think that the more interesting aspect of this is teams filling out and giving multi million dollar contracts to clearly non starting players. Like mm-hmm. Lind is definitely that, and. To me, that's where in the past maybe you had minor league contracts being doled out or you're kind of counted on guys from within playing those positions. But now I think, and, and I think the Cubs were a major factor in this, the idea of versatility and depth being so, so critical to to lasting a season and winning X amount of games, which ultimately get you home field, is, is more important than it has been. And if you look at, you know, war compilations as far as, like, advanced projections again um, – a lot of those come from your bench players. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't afford to just be having negative blow replacement players sitting on your bench. And specifically with the Nationals, they've got, you know, Ryan Zimmerman, who's always hurt. Um, so it's it's good to have a reliable backup there with Lynn. And, uh, yeah, it's it's um, I think that's a worthwhile investment. I mean, I, I like Carter better, but I, it, it is a little bit interesting just as far as how important depth has become and valued depth has become in, in Major League Baseball. Last thing, uh, other than potentially quarterback play in football, I think the hardest and most rare thing to find is really good, really effective pitching. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are there, but there's a guy who's available, and it just doesn't make sense to me, aren't you? If I told you you had a reliever available who over the – 111 games in the last two seasons, pitched to a 14 and four record out of the pen with a 2.65 ERA and a 1.064 WHIP. You're saying, okay, this is a guy who's going to make, you know, he's going to make eight, nine million dollars a year from somebody in a multi-year contract. But Joe Blanton mm-hmm. sits on the free agent market unsigned. Why is Joe Blanton still around? <laughs> because he's Joe Blanton, probably. He throws does, does, like. Does he suffer 89? from perception? Does, is it perception? Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course he does. I, I mean, he's how, what, how old is Joe Blanton these 35. days? He's got to be what? He's 35, 35 okay. these days. So I wouldn't say the age is prohibitive. I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing older players get signed left and right. That 35 is not quite where I'd be worried about it. But his velocity is definitely a concern. Um, and he's probably asking for more than he needs to. And I'm guessing other teams are seeing – his sort of physical and profile and pitch mix and saying, Hey, we've got eight Joe Blanton's in our, in our pen or in our minor league system. But like we were just saying with Lind, I mean, that's a dangerous game because you've got a proven commodity in Blanton. Um, and assuming the, I wouldn't go eight or 9 million for him, but I, I mean, you're talking about like four or five, which I'm guessing he would take. Um, and I guess, I'm guessing a team would pay. I'm not I saying, would definitely do that. I'm not saying Blanton himself should get eight or nine million. I want to make that clear. I'm just saying that statistical profile is going to be worth that much money. Yeah, it's it's certainly not bad, but I think that again, I'd have to look at the Babbitt a little bit and the advanced profile on him. I, but my my stance on Blanton is that he does not throw the ball hard, and his stuff isn't missing a ton of bats generally. So. To me, he's the kind of guy that you sort of assume is just kind of average, even though he's gotten the job done time and time again over the last two years. All right. 
one one last thing one last last thing just because we're talking about this this weird pictures and perception and all of that brian wilson is try have you seen this brian wilson thing yeah he's a knuckleball he's thing. trying to remake himself as a knuckleball starting pitcher does okay. can this work <laughs> i would be shocked if it worked but if the guy's been working at it for a while, then a knuckleballer as as old as he is is the one way to stay in the game. So, um, you know, he's been effective in the past. It's not like his the mental side is, is all there for Wilson. No, well, I guess that's debatable, but I think it is. Um, uh, so it's just a matter of if he can repeat that and if the knuckle can be effective. But that's just a strange situation. I don't know. Do you think so? I mean, someone will give him a chance, right? I, you, you, I don't know. I mean, somebody gave Tebow a chance, so I think somebody will give Brian Wilson a chance. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And I guess R.A. Dickey's still just signed a new contract with the Braves, and he turned 73 this year, so. I, oh, man, I that's know. true. It, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess if you can throw a knuckleball effectively, you can pitch however long you want, but. Right, yeah, just, such effectively a weird is a relative term too. Yeah, it is weird. It's it's just bizarre because it's the same guy doing it that yeah. you know, we've seen in like a high leverage role doing like piping in fastballs. So it would be very very interesting and just bizarre to see. But it would be cool. I'd be I'd love to see that. Knuckleballers are one of the coolest things in all of sports to just see that thing work. So it'd be awesome if it worked out. Well, have we ever had anyone? Who can who can alternate between knuckleball and ninety mile an hour fastball? No, I think what Dickie's what eighty sitting eighty eight, eighty seven maybe. But yeah, I think he's a little bit lower than that. But well, he's forty now, right? Forty three right around there. So yeah, oh wow, yeah. So I think he's 43. yeah, he might he might be a little bit lower than that, but uh, I don't know. Do you think Wilson can still throw ninety? He's forty two. I don't know if he he's can. 40, all right, Dickie's forty two. He's going to turn forty three in October. Okay. Um, I don't know, but but who can who can turn the heat up a little bit on a fastball? It's pretty, you know, all the the knuckleball guys we see here, it's it's knuckleball, knuckleball. It's the Tim Wakefields of the world. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, and I and I suspect a, that Wilson would be there too, though. It would just be such a a weird and unique player to be able to somebody who can throw a knuckleball effectively. And uh, look, this isn't Wilson. I'm not suggesting it is. But throw a knuckleball effectively and also be able to throw like a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. How do you hit that guy? Well, the problem is that's almost impossible to do because there's it's very difficult to repeat that mechanical motion that's between great. a knuckleball and a fastball and to generate that kind of speed. But you're right. Like, it would be awesome to just teach your kid how to throw a knuckler from like 10 years old. No, we're not advocating it. We're not advocating that. None of, no, do it. No off-speed Make pitches. Lefty too. No off-speed pitches. No breaking pitches until the kid turns 13. We're gonna we're gonna save some arms here on the on the deepish thoughts podcast. And uh, wow, that and, is a deepish thought. Yes, it is, sir. And this uh, R. A. Dickey's picture. He looks like it looks like a mugshot, by the way. <laughs> like it's. I feel like <laughs> his new one. Oh, R. A. Dickey's uh, whatever whatever Blue Jays headshot I'm looking at on the inter- on the computer right now. This guy is staring into my soul, thinking about how he can rape me, and just terrifying. Just a terrifying image. Oh, jeez. I don't. uh, Look, we're gonna let things go with the R.A. Dickey rape. 
Um, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Yeah. Sorry. So that has been the Thank Deepest you, Thoughts podcast, episode number 13. I'm Chris Horbordell. He is Anshu Kana. Tune in next Wednesday for our show. Tune in later this weekend for uh, Anshu and Josh's show. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.